A female shooter that thinks she is a man shoots up a Christian school in Nashville. We'll talk about why moral arguments are needed in society to rectify what is the real issue and the real culprit behind school shootings. We'll talk about that as we look at Michael Knowles' appearance on the Whatever podcast. He's able to successfully weed his way through the whatevers and the likes and the literallys in order to make a moral argument that we need to consider in the present. We'll look at that too within the very poorly aged comments of a singer who wants to celebrate the destruction of womanhood on stage at a LGBTQ concert in Nashville. And then we'll finally look at how the sexualization of especially the youngest among us in Hollywood has actually hurt people. And I think we know the results of that as we look at a brand new documentary that Brooke Shields did about her life growing up as a young girl in Hollywood. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. show is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. Now, Anchor is not only your one-stop shop for all of your business solutions, whether that be staffing, payroll, accounting, and much, much more, but also they're presently running a great special. If you are presently looking for a trade, looking for a job, they're right now giving free QuickBooks training to anybody who applies to work for Anchor. Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. Now, you may be looking for help with your small business, staffing, accounting, payroll, and so much more, and they can help you with all of that. But also, they can help you if you're in the market for a job yourself. Right now, they're offering thousands of dollars worth of QuickBooks training totally for free to those who come to work for them. Now, not only will you gain a great trade and a great new ability, but you can build a career for yourself becoming an accountant. Now, you need QuickBooks to do that. And again, they're offering that training totally for free. So if you're looking to start your career in the field of accounting or bookkeeping or financial advising, you need to be able to have the skills that Anchor can give you. Now, to figure out more of how they can help you not only build your small business, but also help you build a career of your own, you need to go to ancur.biz. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, today's show starts on a pretty heavy, somber note because of what just took place in Nashville. A woman that believed she was a man took a gun and shot up a Christian school, the Covenant Christian School in Nashville, and now six people are dead. Before we get into the facts of what took place and perhaps what we can do about it, I want to just take a brief moment to say our thoughts and our prayers are with the loved ones who were affected by this senseless, demonic, and evil tragedy. I was going through some of the pictures of the victims and happened upon a picture of a little girl who was killed by this villainous person. And apparently, the one of the pastors of the church, his daughter, was was one of those victims. And I saw her picture, and she was maybe six or seven. And it's heartbreaking to see such senseless and evil tragedy on the innocent, most innocent among us. But as much as possible, we need to move beyond the remorse, feel those feelings, but also go as quickly as we can into a kind of strategy that will help us figure out what we can do about these things in the future. Now, let's make no mistake about it that, especially because of the identity of this shooter, that the left is going to try to do that for us as quickly as possible without even taking the adequate time to recognize those families and to issue forth the prayers necessary 
to really support and love on those people at this time. The left is going to quickly try to blame things like uh, Christians for their lack of tolerance for the LGBTQ community. You can rest assured in some way there will be this odd sympathy given to the shooter without ever once taking the time to recognize that tolerance is probably the lowest form of supposed love. Just to tolerate somebody actually isn't compassion and isn't love in the first place. But somehow the media will find a way to to show this sympathy for this shooter and suggest that perhaps Christians have something to do with this because this shooter shot up a Christian school. And then I'm sure there will be those who will blame Tennessee for their supposed anti-trans legislation, which of course is not what just took place in Tennessee. Actually, we just enacted child protection legislation in Tennessee. But it's been billed as anti-trans and anti-drag legislation. But, of course, drag shows are still legal in Tennessee, unfortunately. It's just that you can't sexually groom and indoctrinate children into this kind of stuff in Tennessee. But, but nonetheless, uh, Tennessee will be uh, blamed in some way for enacting this legislation to protect children. And then because the left is totally, totally Rousseauian, they'll blame uh, things in society like John Wick 4 for its glamorized style of violence, and they'll blame the gun, of course. And by Rousseauian, I mean this. Rousseau said that people are born free, but everywhere are in chains. So in other words, it's everything external that's causing us to be victims and to be prisoners, but it never is the thing internally. And so the left will be quick to once again talk about gun violence and that the gun is to blame rather than actually taking the time to blame the person. Now, the right does not always get this correct, but at least they have some kind of firm grasp on reality, unlike the left. And so at least I, for my part on this show, will do the best I can to issue forth conversation about what is actually to blame and is at the center of this and every shooting. And that is, of course, mental illness. The one thing all mass shooters and all school shooters have in common is that these people are mentally ill. We need a national conversation about this before we ever venture to start talking about gun control. Because mental illness is a real problem in society, and it is the real cause behind all of this. While we want to blame an inanimate object, it is always the animate object of the individual and what they are experiencing. And I say this especially with respect to the self-identity of this individual. I think it's time that we had a national conversation and we're honest about the fact that transgenderism is mental illness. It's time we started owning up to that fact and we started providing solutions to it. These people have issued forth pleas of help talking about their suicidal tendencies and their gender dysphoria. And it is time that we listened to them and heard them. Somebody once said, if somebody tells you who, you who they are, you should believe them. Now, believe them in this sense. Believe that they are struggling in a way that desperately needs us, society, to come alongside of them and rather than affirm them, actually give them the help that they really need. So I have a couple of suggestions in light of this shooting about what we can do to make sure that we own up to the fact that transgenderism is mental illness and that we help those people get the help that they really need. 
The first thing is this, is that we need to re-stigmatize mental illness. Now, in every public school in America, there's mental health awareness month or week or something like that. And you'll find especially young girls who are ready to share all of their battle wounds with past boyfriends and share whatever issues they may be facing with complete strangers to try to destigmatize mental illness so that people who are suffering in silence can get the help that they actually need. Now, especially as a Christian, I'm all for that compassionate response. But here's the problem. I hope we can now be done with the social experiment of destigmatization because destigmatization actually has a counterfactual that is very deadly. When we destigmatize mental illness, it normalizes mental illness and it makes it okay. This is exactly what has taken place with transgenderism, is that we have a society of people who now express and celebrate their mental illness rather than get the help they need. If we really care about people, we will truly help them when they tell us that they are struggling with a mental illness. We will not try to normalize it and make it acceptable. And here's just a couple of ways that we can do that. First of all, we can eliminate the euphemism gender-affirming care, and we can replace it with the actual terminology. So we can call gender, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care what it actually is. We can call it castration. We can call it... uh, phalloplasty, vaginoplasties, and double mastectomies. We can actually start using those terms so that we have to grapple with the reality of what we're actually talking about instead of euphemistically trying to overlook them. And then we can go one step further and not just eliminate the term, we can actually eliminate all elective castrations, phalloplasties, vaginoplasties, double mastectomies, and the whole litany of elective plastic surgeries that are, are an attempt to provide a physical answer for something that can only be healed in your soul. And then most importantly, we need to return to God. There's a relativism out there in the ether, and if there is something to blame other than the shooter themselves, if there is a cultural phenomenon to look to, it is relativism. And the reason I'm not hypocritical in saying that is that relativism is obviously clearly the thing that you can draw a straight line from to the shooter rather than all of these zigzag lines that the, life, the left likes to try to do. But relativism is to blame because Richard Dawkins said it well in his book, The God Delusion. He said, there is no good, there is no evil, there's only pitiless indifference. So when there is no God, we don't have standards of truth to judge what is good and what is right and what is wrong. So in fact, we're just dancing to our DNA, as Dawkins has also intimated in in his writings. We're just doing what we do as human beings because we're not caused beings. We don't have meaning. We don't have existential purpose. And we're just doing what human beings do, survival of the fittest after all. This is what we've told a generation of people, and then we expect them not to act like animals. We need to get back to morality, and the only way to do that is with God. Because if you don't have God in the picture, all you have is arbitrary standards of morality, my truth and your truth. And as I've said before on the show, there is no such thing as your truth. There is the truth and there are the lies. And that's why we have to speak the truth in love. My truth doesn't exist, but it does in a morally relativistic world, or at least it's assumed that that it does. As we return to God, we find that that's where we find transcendent moral values, but without God, there is only arbitrary, subjective moral values. The moral argument for 
for God's existence is perhaps one of the most effective and powerful arguments for the existence of God, so much so that there is no secular uh, atheist or agnostic present or past who has been able to refute this obvious argument. And the argument goes something like this. There are no objective moral values and duties if God does not exist. Objective moral values and duties exist, therefore God exists. So again, all we have is arbitrary moral values that are self-constructed by the individual rather than the, the obvious rational truth that wherever a child is molested, it is wrong. Under any circumstance, regardless of your subjective understanding about what sex, and, um, uh, what sex should look like, that is immoral and it is wrong. In order for us to finally get back to the truth, we will need to know the source of authentic truth. And there is no way to get to objective moral values outside of a, of a belief in God. Now, the argument is not that if you're an atheist, you cannot do good. That's not the argument. The argument is this, is that you cannot logically come up with a reason for a the existence of objective moral values without God. So we're talking about the existence of moral values and not the existence of a good atheist. Besides, if there is a good atheist out there in the ether, they've only hijacked the Judeo-Christian ethic, the Judeo-Christian values that have been infused in our culture and other cultures in the West, and they've merely accepted responsibility for all the good that comes from that on themselves. But of course, it doesn't come from them. It comes from the Bible, and it comes from God. Um, and by the way, the Judeo-Christian ethic is so infused, especially in America, it's really hard to tell how much of your life has already been influenced by Scripture and by the teachings of the church. Needless to say, once we know the truth, then we can know the way, and this kind of stuff will become sparingly rare, which I hope we can see in the aftermath of, of this incredible tragedy that that's what we need more than ever before. And we'll talk about it in our stories today. Conservatives need moral arguments, and they need to make so on the basis of religious arguments or the existence of God in society today. However, there are conservatives who are a little bit squeamish about doing so because they don't want to get in the murky waters of talking about religious ideas and theology. Now, on one hand, I can understand it, but on the other hand, I also have to say that right now we're seeing, as I expressed at the beginning of the show, the repercussions of a secular age, and therefore we need to, as quickly as possible, discuss uh, moral arguments from a religious perspective as much as we possibly can. Now, I think specifically of Matt Walsh, who's somebody I love to listen to and is somebody that I know believes that the moral argument uh, is the best, one of the best arguments for the existence of God. So I know he believes this, but he has often on the show, on his show, said things like this. Uh, he cited his Christian faith as well when explaining why he refused to participate in his team's Pride Night festivities. And it is indeed a very good reason, um, because a faithful Christian cannot possibly wear or carry that flag. You, you can't do that while also remaining true to your faith. It's, it is a one or the other sort of situation. When someone, when your employer says to you, oh, put this pride flag on, it's, um, it is a, these are mutually exclusive things. You can either stay true to your faith, uh, your Christian faith, or you can... Um, you know, participate in this sign of loyalty to this, to this other religion. You can't have both. But I will also say that as a Christian myself, I, I still tend to think that, you know, you shouldn't need to give your Christian faith 
as a reason. Matt Walsh here is stating a really important fact, I think, in a more broad way, but I do want to whittle down specifically. But his ultimate point here is that a hockey player who wrote on Twitter that he's a Christian and he's not going to wear a pride flag was totally unnecessary because it should not be incumbent upon this man to try to defend himself against the predations of pride flags uh, because it shouldn't even be there in the first place. Now, while I 100% agree with this, I also want to take issue with the idea that we don't need to create religious arguments here. Now, he's not saying we don't do them at all, but I have heard Matt on his show in the past say that we just need logical arguments or scientific arguments to prove this. But, but I want to push back on that gently and just say this, that conservatives, Christian conservatives, have been doing this to some degree or another without much effectiveness because we've taken away the most powerful aspect of the, the argument that we have in our, our arsenal, which is a theological understanding of the fact that you cannot even talk about good and evil, right and wrong, without God in the first place. See, the weight of our arguments is dependent upon a theological argument. So we need to insert religious ideas if we are ever going to make value statements in the first place. And it is an effective way of truly arguing, and that's why we need to do it. Michael Knowles puts this on full display as he wades into the very popular Gen Z podcast, whatever, because he makes sure to let this panel of young ladies to to let them know that it is important for them if they're going to make value judgments to understand where those values come from. So here's him doing that. Well, in your universe, you could pretend to be a bug with 17 arms. Wait, it doesn't make but it true. Michael, you can't bring religion into politics. Well, well you have to bring religion. No. I'm no, All politics I mean, is you religious. can like take it into a factor, Why? but you cannot let it set politics. Because no, it has to. No, it has because to. there's not? so many different religions. It's just like you can't cater to one. But Being you, Catholic, you can't cater to just... Like Catholicism. Why not? Because well, let, you have people let me just in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm not religious? Hey, can I, uh, well, that, can you I know, that's you? your problem. Can I, yeah. It's oh. not my problem. It's my life. Oh. Well, it's your, it, but that's, it's a problematic aspect. Of Why it's can, a problematic I, aspect? Well, be, because <laughs> because certain things are true and certain things are false. So, like for instance, if I said right now, hey, is it better to uh, bake a pie for a widow or kick a little baby in the head? Would you say one of those things is better than the other thing? You can compare them no, because I, you're taking things out of context. No, but I'm just asking, is it, wait, would you, you look at that situation wait, and say, what you have two this? choices here. You can either bake a pie for old, the widow down the street, or you can kick that little baby in the head. Would you say one of those things is better or worse than the other one? Yeah, yes. probably. Yeah, so if you're going to make a claim that something is better or worse as a, as a moral question, then you are now taking recourse to religion because that's a religious view. Now, like, before I go any further, I have to literally give praise to Michael Knowles for, like, sitting through this conversation with these girls that say like and literally about 300 times in a sentence. So this group of Gen Z podcasters is a, is a little bit to handle, uh, especially when you take into account that there are way too many young girls with, with too many microphones in that room to actually have a substantive conversation. So kudos to Michael for trying to, to make it happen. But before I get to Michael's religious analogy, I want to talk about what the girls said, because one of them said, well, you can't make religious arguments about issues in society because there's way too many religions and you have to respect each and every religion if you do that. And some of those ideas are conflicting and yada, yada, yada. You get the point. There's just too many religions to actually do that. Dear, dear girl, please understand that the left is equally as religious as the 
as the conservative Christian or the conservative religious right person. Uh, they just use irrational religious arguments. They defer to identity and make identity politics arguments and intersectionality arguments. And then they make arguments like my body, my choice, without ever recognizing that like the body in your body isn't actually your body. So there, I mean, that's a, a liturgy of sorts because it is completely based upon a, a false superstition rather than it is actually a rational truth. Now, bring Christianity into the picture, and you actually have liturgy with rational, with rational common sense to it. Uh, so let's just be really clear that there are religious, some false religious arguments and some adequate religious arguments all around. So it's not a matter of whether we're going to make religious arguments. It's a matter of which religious argument is the right one. As I've said before on the show, everybody's worshiping something. It's just a matter of if you're worshiping that which is right. So let's be clear that in the present, there are even atheists who are rediscovering uh, religious arguments and biblical truths that need to be grappled with. So if you're going to be critical and you're going to be rational, it's important that we analyze religious thought and religious ideas and we let the cream rise to the top. So before, in other words, we just say, we're not going to talk about anything religious. It's important that we be open to those ideas and we have a conversation about them and that we allow them to enter into the conversation so that we can see if they hold any weight or any value. It's perfectly hypocritical to remove them before you're even willing to have a conversation about them. And most importantly, you need to insert religious arguments and religious ideas into conversations about societal issues because of Michael's analogy. Now, he gives the pie analogy. Would you rather kick someone in the head, kick a baby in the head, or give someone a cherry pie? One of the girls says, yeah, probably. I mean, that is the perfect, like, religious argument from the left. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, absolutely. That should end the debate right there. It tells you everything you need to know about these young girls, and it tells you everything you need to know about secularism. It is not rooted in anything anything true. But nonetheless, we, we move forward to get to the heart of what Michael is saying, and he's saying something that needs to be heard. He's saying this, the moment you make a value judgment, you're making a moral judgment. And you need a moral law in order to make moral judgments. And there is no such thing as a moral law without a moral law giver. Now, you may ask yourself, why? Well, simply put, if there is not a standard, an ontic referent, as it were, a being that was ultimately good, we would have no understanding of what good actually is. So what do we know? Uh, how do we know what good is if we don't have anything to judge it against so that we know what evil is? When we know this is good and we know this is evil, nonetheless, we also know this. Objective evil does exist. It is evil no matter where you are in the world today to abuse a child. Now, the atheist will give you some kind of utilitarian argument and try to say, well, we understand good simply based upon what is in the best interests of the majority. Well, of course we know that to be a fallacious argument because all you need to point to is the left's favorite talking point, even though they, they know little about it, is to point to Nazi Germany. It was believed by the majority that the best thing to do would be to put people in concentration camps and to get rid of Jews and to make a perfect society. And even today, you can make some kind of morally reprehensible argument that might actually benefit the majority of people, but is still morally reprehensible. That's because objective morality exists. And by that, I mean simply this, that regardless of the observer, this truth remains. So in other words, it is a transcendent truth. When we talk about what religion that we should choose from, because there are so many, that question was self-evident in the past. How about this? 
I suggest we do away with all of the many religions of the world and just focus on the three major religions of the world. That would be Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So we focus on those three religions and we let them compete together and see which one has the most beneficial ideas to society. And then you could also pick up a history book and you could see how the wisdom of the ages that has been passed down to us in the present, where it comes from. And then we could also pick up a history book long enough to look at the greatest society in the history of the world and see that it was built upon a specific set of principles that come from Christian truth. So it wouldn't take you long and it wouldn't take much of your scrolling time thumbing through Instagram to pick up a history book and realize that Christianity stands apart in history as a world religion that is complete with moral values that are sufficient for building a society upon. And that society better get some help because we've got a room filled with women who are steering society along with others, uh, quickly toward a cliff because they failed to recognize what almost every generation in human history could teach you. The simple truths found in scripture, one of which, there is a God and you ain't him. And we'll look at another story that shows kind of the moral degradation of our age as we see that in Nashville, a singer was holding an LGBTQ concert prior to this horrific shooting that took place where she demanded that Nashville authorities come and arrest her because she brought drag queens up on stage. So apparently there is a singer in the world known as Marin Morris, who I have never heard of and couldn't name a single song that she ever sang, but she held this concert. And while she was there, she stopped the concert to make sure to address the crowd. And she said this. Marin Morris has a problem with Tennessee's controversial drag show bill. The singer performed at Nashville's Bridgestone Arena on Monday during the Love Rising concert, which is a benefit aimed at supporting and raising awareness about LGBTQ plus rights. I introduced my son to some drag queens today, so Tennessee effing arrest me. Morris told the crowd, he's growing up here as a Nashvillian, and I just want to leave this world for him a little bit better than the one we're in right now, and I feel like nights like tonight help to do that. Now, as much as I would like you to be arrested, um, you, you can't be arrested in Tennessee actually just because you introduced your son to a drag queen. That's not actually what the bill states. The bill states that you can't take a bunch of fat men, shove them in lingerie, shake their butts in front of very small children publicly for events that are specifically aimed at grooming children. So, I mean, as much as this individual wants to make a moral argument for the necessity of doing that, actually... Uh, this secular moralistic argument doesn't hold any weight, uh, at least in terms of what's actually taking place in Tennessee. But before I jump into the moralistic argument that's being made by this individual, just an irreligious one, I, I want to just say this. Boy, that, that comment didn't age well, did it, sweetie? Uh, the fact that you held this concert to support LGBTQ rights and you were defying uh, attempting to defy law enforcement, and then a transgender shooter goes into a Christian school and kills six people. I wonder if you feel any remorse whatsoever for your blatant disregard for reality and your blatant disregard for the law. So her little moralistic stand tells us all the truth that we need to know about this person, and you can see it in this picture right here. This <clears throat> illustration almost speaks for itself because of how silly it is. This woman wants to stand up for the rights of this really big-ass dude beside her to identify and dress as a woman. So she's really standing in the shadow of that, of that individual as though 
there might be a further analogy like feminism is standing in the shadow of men now because transgenderism has absolutely made a mockery of feminism. It just goes to show you that the moralism of the left is actually a self-defeating moralism. It's, it's what I call the cut off your nose to spite your face left, the progressive movement that constantly wants to be treadmill people who wants to constantly make progress but actually not move anywhere or if, if they do anything, they move backwards. I do want to say something beyond just making fun of the progressive movement here and their pseudo-moralistic arguments that they try to make without God, because, of course, she is doing that, right? She is saying, this is what's right, this is what's good, and I want to leave the world a better place than when I found it, and this is the way to do that, to dress men as women. Well, congratulations with that. But the more important thing is here is that these people are so desperate to abuse children, it just is so sick to me. Now, again, she did this with her own child, and I'm almost pleased to sit back and let you do it to your own child uh, so that you can see the error of your ways, hopefully. But, but I care about kids too much to make that flippant response. And, and I just want to say that it really just seems odd to me that these people want to kill children in the womb. And then when they get out of the womb, they want to mutilate these kids with with gender mutilating surgeries. And if they can't do that because they outlawed in Tennessee, then they resort to violence and they just kill kids. What is the deal with wanting to kill kids? It's as if we are rejoicing at our own destruction, not only in a physical way, as we saw with this, this shooter, but also the ridiculousness of feminism that espouses that a, uh, that, a, that a man can be a woman and that a woman is just nothing more than a uterus holder. We just saw this recently with Anna Kasparian in her comments on Twitter that I don't want to be relegated just to one body part because of a transgender movement. I would like actually for women to be identified as more than that because actually they are much more than that. It's interesting to me how self-defeating feminism is. Way back, Simone, Simone de Beauvoir was saying things like this, that we are now becoming the men that we've always wanted to be. And then you had people like, or sorry, that was Gloria Steinem. You had people like Simone de Beauvoir even going as far as to say this, that it is not the ovum that makes somebody a woman. It's more the clitoris. Uh, and, and a woman is a woman insofar as she thinks herself to be one. So just ridiculous statements that, like that, like a woman is more defined by sexual pleasure and by feelings than actually by being a woman and actually carrying a baby, which is one of the greatest things women can do. So why is it that feminists are rejoicing in their own destruction? They're watching men invade their sports and demolish them. They're watching men invade their locker rooms and their bathrooms and, and take away safe spaces from women. And then they're watching men invade their prisons too. Men who are sexual offenders can now identify as a woman and go have a field day in women's prisons. All of this is far from feminism and far from a way to respect and stance a woman in her voice. But far be it from me as a man to try to mansplain to a bunch of feminists that you have no understanding what feminist is. You could just look at the evidence that's right in front of your face. And it's staring us in the face in a brand new documentary by Brooke Shields who talks about her life as a kid growing up in Hollywood and how the over-sexualization of her little life from the, from the youngest of, of, of age had an impact on her. So I want to show you a quick clip from the trailer for this new documentary, and it'll give you kind of a flavor that there's a lot on the surface and probably some really deep, dark things lurking underneath. So here's that. How do you feel about all this fuss that's being made over you? I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> you really are an exquisite-looking young lady. I know you've been told that, but isn't she a pretty, pretty girl? 
you just didn't go anywhere that somebody wouldn't know Brooke Shields. The most photographed woman in the world. Iconic American beauty. Object of desire. A sexualized child model. Exploitation. Vulnerable. I was on the cover of Time magazine as the face of that whole era. Who decides that? Now it's like, I'm allowed to be a human being. Now, I wanted to show you that clip because there's this idea out there that, that Hollywood was on the cutting edge. They were at the tip of the spear of fighting against sexual predators and the violation of women and the ways in which men wish to manipulate women for sex and all of that kind of stuff. The Me Too movement happened in Hollywood because Hollywood was standing up and fighting back against some of the predations of our age. Well, that's not the truth at all. I think we all know this, that Hollywood was the epicenter of all of that stuff because progressive ideas and progressive ideology is absolutely anti-human. So these people who are religiously irreligious have continually created a society where you can sexualize a small child and it can be even good to do so because we're promoting your career without any understanding of the repercussions of what it might do to somebody like Brooke Shields. Now, we see this all the time with young actors, people like Drew Barrymore, who seems very unadjusted to society, and others like Macaulay Culkin, and, and any of these people, Corey Feldman, uh, any of these people who were stars as young kids and how they're brought up throughout the, the ranks in Hollywood, how they end up becoming interesting adults who have a very warped sense of reality. Ultimately, this is what this documentary is all about. And to me, it showcases how bad secularism really, really is. We need to be honest about our Christian past. And we say, hey, guys, yeah, you need to understand that we know that Christians were responsible for the Crusades, and you need to take responsibility for that. And Christians don't have a pure past, and, and they did things that were bad in, in the past. Sure. Yeah, we need to be honest about the Crusades and how Christians violated their own principles in the past. Sure, we need to be honest about that. But how about the Crusades in the present that are being conducted by liberals and progressives? Aren't we going to be honest about those Crusades? I want to say at least this much about that whole idea. Whenever Christians in the past have done atrocious acts of violence and, and murder and participated in things like the Crusades where, where Muslims were, were treated atrociously, sure, whenever they've done that, they've always been in violation of Christian biblical truth. Jesus didn't teach that stuff. So did Christians do it? Maybe, because I don't even know if you could call them Christians. Did self-proclaimed Christians do it? Yes, but they did it in violation to the teachings of Scripture. Here's the dangerous thing. When a secular humanist, when a progressive, when a godless liberal comes along and says that they want to do something, and then they do something that is vile, there is nothing that says that they were out of step with their moral code because they don't really have one. There is no secular humanist handbook that says that treating a child sexually is wrong or that pornographic material for young kids and sexualizing people at the youngest age. There is no handbook that says that that's wrong. So a secular humanist is actually stepping in line with their belief system when they practice these kind of things. Now, that should be incredibly startling for each and every one of us. The Christian is rejecting their religion. The secular humanist is singing hymns to their religion when they do evil acts of atrocity. So we need religious thought. 
we need religious arguments to keep us from the moral conundrums, not only of the past, but also whatever moral conundrums that we'll create for ourselves in, in the future. The anti-moralistic and atrocious stances that we're taking in the present very often come because we do not have a foundation that we are standing on. And if we don't have religious arguments, I will just say this. We find ourselves in a hopeless and meaningless state because transcendence is the only place where that can be found. Not only is transcendence where the place you can find morality, but transcendence is also the place where you can find hope and you can find meaning for your life outside of the suicidal nihilistic tendency in our society. Because it is there where you find that there is greater meaning to your life and that there is a hope beyond your present circumstances. We need religious thought. We need religious arguments because the transcendence that provides us morality is also the transcendence that can provide us hope outside of our present suffering and can provide us meaning outside of the, the, the boring existence that's so very often, the, the mundane existence that we find here on this earth. Outside of those moral religious ideas, suicide and nihilism are actually logically consistent. So if we do find that there are secularists, humanists, and, and atheists who, who find meaning and purpose, they're, they're doing so, or even find morality, they're doing so because they are hijacking the Christian truths that have infiltrated the West for a long time and have, and have become embedded in the West. They've hijacked the good things from Christianity, all while never venturing to turn their eyes upward to give thanks to the person who actually gave it to them. So no, you don't have to be a, a, a Christian to be a good person. You just have to believe in God to believe in morality. And then once you believe in God, because you believe in morality, I would suggest you take the next step and go to the greatest moral teacher of all time, who is much more than a moral teacher and is God himself, Jesus, which would present... Christian arguments in their finest form. If you're willing to do that, I would love to hear from you down in the comments section below, but you can also like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, but most importantly, go with God.